0: Hi Vince, good afternoon, Jeremiah. Uh, how's it going? Going all right. Just uh, normal work stresses. Uh, all in our little
1: COVID bubbles. All right. Well, let's let's introduce ourselves. I'm I'm Jeremiah Buckley. Uh, I've been uh, doing uh, software development for for a million years, mostly uh, managing software development teams, but recently in the solution architect space.
0: Uh, Vince, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, Vince Segranis. I work along with Jeremiah. I've managed. Uh, Software and infrastructure teams and uh, Salesforce, AWS, process automation, massive amounts of different things, uh, and now get to uh, actually get back to technology a little bit.
1: Awesome. And we should say that the uh, the views expressed here are in no way the views of our employers who we like very much, and we want them to continue employing us. Let's uh, talk about the, the topic of the day, which was uh, you know, anti-fragile which is one of those things that uh, is very, very buzzwordy, right? Obviously, if someone comes to you and says, hey, do you want your teams to be fragile or anti-fragile? Uh, you're going to pick anti-fragile. That uh, sounds like a much better alternative. Uh, but what exactly is it? And is it actually good for your teams? How can you make it? How can you make it work? That's kind of what we're going to be talking about. So, Vince, I you know I I got some things here from from uh, some summaries of these particular top uh, words and ideas that we can use to sort of help define this. But if you if you uh, want to take a swing at it, you can take a swing at it in terms of defining all these various
0: things. Yeah. So I guess a, a classic work here is the uh, Nicholas Taleb book called Anti-Fragile, and uh, I've not read that book. The last thing I read from him was Black Swan, which which yeah, really came too. out. After the, uh, after the last financial crisis around 2008, 2009. So he, he rose to fame at that point. And then as part of a I think a, what will be a five book series, uh, Anti-Fragile is book four in that.
1: Oh and, man, he's written other things besides Anti-Fragile and Black Swan. Man, I, I, yeah, I'm already was, a terrible prolific. podcaster. I,
0: mean,
1: <laughs> I definitely liked Black Swan, but yeah, I, I didn't know he'd uh, done the other stuff yeah.
0: as well. I uh, I tend to read a lot, and uh, and I know that uh, anti-fragile came out maybe a year after I finished up graduate school. At that point, I was like burnt on uh, management reading, and and was looking to uh, to read more uh, technical and sci-fi stuff.
1: Oh yeah, he also did Fooled by Randomness. That uh, was that was another one that you know people like to talk about. So so you read anti-fragile. It's a, it's a pretty interesting concept, and and there's you know sort of generally. You can find him on, on YouTube. You know, he, he likes to sort of put this against about three or four other terms, like fragile and robust and things like that. So yeah. it's probably a good idea for us to just sort of talk through what those are real quick, just to sort of get our terms
0: right. I think a great way, right, is everybody understands fragile. A team that, that falls apart under stress or, or change or volatility. Yep. Right. So anti-fragile, and, and, and fragile, right, would be the anti-pattern. So what is the opposite then of, of fragile? Right. A team that, right. that grows stronger when things start to get crazy.
1: There, there are a couple other things there that are kind of probably worth we're talking about in the middle there. Right. Which are like robust and resilient. Yeah. Um, so like robust is like your classic uh, in terms of uh, a software system. It would be your classic sort of mainframe like this, this enormous thing that like no matter how much uh stress you threw at it, it it would still be able to handle it because it's like incredibly overbuilt or like the brooklyn bridge or something like yeah. that right and then uh resilient is something that can sort of adapt to changes uh by by sort of uh, fixing itself uh, as it gets damaged and obviously r- robust is robust up until a point and then it becomes yeah. fragile right uh you know sort of Stresses to the point of uh, of breaking, and then it will break. Resilient is uh, a little bit better because um, obviously uh, it, it has uh, systems and recovery methods uh, built into it, so it can kind of sort of adapt to the stresses that are
0: expected of it. So resilient, then it resists and and, and adapts to those shocks, but it doesn't improve because of it. Um, All right, so we've got uh, so then we've got a scale here, right, in terms of. Uh, I don't know what we call this scale—the anti-fragility scale, right? So it's fragile, robust, resilient, and and anti-fragile.
1: And and so yeah, anti-fragile—you know—it's it's, it's uh, something that's going to sort of take change, and then as it as it encounters stresses, it's going to change to adapt to those stresses in a way that you know a resilient a resilient system is going to be. There's going to be sort of planned stresses in a resilient system. And I think an anti- anti-fragile is a little bit more about dealing with uh, unexpected stresses. Yeah. Or, or, but that, that's, of course, not entirely right. It's a little bit, it's a little bit weird, uh,
0: the difference between resilient and, and anti-fragile. It sounds complicated, but I, I think the, the way to simplify it, right, is if you're working with a team of people and you get something crazy going on, does the team get galvanized and excited by that? And is the team stronger because they have a good challenge to deal with? To me, that's like the, the most clear way to, to define anti-fragile.
1: Okay, yeah, I can kind of see that. So like you know, like a resilient team might be sort of fighting fires as they come up and sort of trying to work to sort of bring the system back to its uh, healthy state during during a stressful incident, whereas an anti-fragile system, uh, team would be sort of bringing the, the business functionality in the direction – that the the chaos is coming from, as opposed to trying to trying to bring it okay. back to to wherever it was. Um, and when
0: I think about it in terms of team, right? I think, all right, the resilient resilient team they they get the issue corrected, but they're not a stronger team as a result of having dealt with the issue. Whereas a fragile team would would resort to finger pointing, right, and and take a long time to even correct the issue.
1: Yeah, or yeah. One
0: person on the team would do it and say, "Oh, I, I I'm the hero here." right? The rest of these guys suck.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's obviously a lot of, a lot of blaming happening in, in a, a fragile type of organization. Nobody wants to be responsible for the break. I, and, and that, that I think might be another thing there, right? Um, uh, you know, a break in a, in a fragile system or even a robust system that breaks, a break is kind of a catastrophic event. The whole idea, the whole business continuity is screwed up at that point. And, um, the people who are somehow responsible or associated with the break are going to be in uh, some amount of stress or career danger or something like that. Whereas in an an anti-fragile kind of situation, a break is kind of maybe sort of an expected part of the day, right? You're going to have breaks. It's it's, uh, to some extent, the whole operation is a science experiment. And as you discover that the world isn't what you expect, or the, you know, the system isn't, the people aren't using the system the way you expect, or the, the network isn't acting the way you expect, that's a, yeah. a, a learning opportunity, something you can take back.
0: Yeah, you know, so this is actually one of the, the key interviewing questions that I always ask people is, what's the biggest production problem or outage that you've caused? <laughs> and, and then I've got subsequent questions after that, right? But first I wanna say, have you been close enough to real systems to be able to have an impact, right? And, yeah. and even, you know, people in more junior roles, you know, maybe it's they knocked their own WordPress site offline or something like that, which is okay, right? But we want to hear, right, that, okay, you can admit to a mistake and then we can go talk about what you learned from that, right? Did you get better because of that mistake?
1: And, and you've, you've been given the responsibility by someone at some level to do something dangerous, Right. Like if you're if you're in a situation where you have been so far away from damaging anything that you've never had the opportunity to make a mistake. Well, maybe.
0: But but that's actually so that's an interesting that's an interesting point. Right. Is have you been in organizations that that have been so bureaucratic and so disempowering that you haven't been able to break something and learn from it?
1: Yeah, there's just a, an enormous amount of fear around these types of systems where people are like okay. oh, you know we don't exactly know how it works. We don't really want to change it. We don't want to upgrade anything. Yeah, um, you know if we if we do this, then payroll is knocked offline. You know things like
0: that. <laughs> and I definitely encourage people if you're in an environment like that at work, build a home lab so you can break stuff at home. Then, right? Because, yeah, because if you've solved some of those problems that that crop up at home, eventually you may see some similar problems at work, or at least you've understood this systematic process, right, of of troubleshooting it and understanding how to work your way through a complex problem. There is that whole
1: problem of sort of when you're a, a junior developer or sort of, you know, sort of on the, the low end of the totem pole, like no one wants to put their own uh, career or project at risk to, in, you know, involve you in their valuable system if they can help it, right, until you somehow proved that you – can't do that kind of thing without, without screwing it up. And so a little bit of a chicken and the egg uh, situation there,
0: you know, an an industry, an industry that I worked in for like 14 years was aviation. So I've worked with a lot of pilots and, and that's an interesting industry, right? Because the industry has to learn from, from crashes, right? But individual pilots don't learn all that much from crashes because when it's severe, they, they don't have the opportunity to learn from it. Right. Learning everybody is fairly fast has to learn from that, right? So, you know, the, the regulations in the aviation industry are, are really written in blood. And, and that's why every time there's a big accident, right? It makes it in the news. If you look at the space shuttle Challenger disaster, even what's happened recently with the 737 MAX, you know, the question is, is the, the whole industry stronger because it's gone through that? Did they learn from that sort of process, you know? No, that's that's
1: out that's, that's
0: an incentives or anything, right?
1: I mean, that's a that's a really good example or um you know, the, the way Toyota would do this sort of five whys of questioning when they, they when they ran into a problem of like, you know, yes, like we have a example of, you know, a, a reason for this being a problem to begin with, but you know, let's work on this a lot more. Let's take this a lot more seriously because obviously um it, when it's a very serious problem, having a very a great depth of information about it would be, you know, it's critical to, to being able to solve it. Um, right. So yeah, it's definitely definitely. One but it one is
0: point. also interesting, right? That you know, you definitely see in some organizations a tendency to overcorrect once an issue happens, thinking that you know you can resolve everything through process. And I would always encourage people, you know, find the technical solutions where possible, right? If if it's you know, if it requires more manual control, more human control, you're going to probably run into problems.
1: Uh, so you bring up a, a pretty interesting point there, which which like I, like I absolutely agree with you that like resolving it uh, through process is a good thing, but I think that that may be a bit of my own personal bias in terms of being an engineer, uh, being a software development, uh, somewhat not trusting people because I've seen people make mistakes a bunch, and you know a, a, a well written uh, you know. Chunk of software engineering is is going to go for a long time without breaking, and and like a lot of these things that we're describing in terms of anti-fragile are sort of like you know how do you react to something that's unexpected that's that's coming from a direction you're 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 uh, you haven't planned for, and an automated system, there to some extent an engineered system. You know, it's going to do the same thing it always does every time. And if the the world changes around it, it's going to plow ahead and and go in the wrong direction. That being said, an automation uh, system, uh, a pipeline, uh, something like that that um, you can easily repoint. It's easy to fix it if you know how to fix it. Uh, even if it will even if it will do the stupid thing while it's running into that problem, it may be much easier to to self correct than to to self correct. a than to correct a bunch of people who are all doing the wrong thing. It's a it's an interesting yeah. sort of dynamic there.
0: So so let me give a good example. Uh, I was working at a, a major insurer and I was uh, just being promoted into uh, a director position managing um, a whole bunch of different development teams. And in about the three weeks before the team actually started reporting to me, they had this major problem, right? So in insurance companies, you, you enroll it within a certain window of, of time so enrollment has to start and it has to stop yeah. and somebody gets the a.m. p.m. mixed up on that change right they're supposed to shut it down at midnight and they shut it down at p.m. I guess which is, which is in 12 in the afternoon now recovery and all of that stuff is, uh, is this whole other problem because that took about six hours but the control for that was one person puts in this change somebody else reviews it in the system and then that's it Hmm. and okay so other than people you know missing something like that which is easy like logically easy to do what do you do i actually had people say oh well you just need to have a second person review the the change like let's let's (laughs) daisy yeah
1: because you know the first person gets rid of you know 99.99 percent of the problem and then the second person gets rid of point you know an additional couple of nines (laughs) but
0: so like the way I, we applied technology to this is, you know, this is actually the case where we um, adopted OpenShift, right? Where we brought Kubernetes in because we could stage a change, let it go, and if somebody messed something like that up, go right back to the last version, right? Because it's still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The solution to that problem. Um, Let let the problem still happen. Don't try to overcorrect for it in people, but have, make sure that you can recover from that, right? Your, your meantime, your time to recovery is just as tiny as possible. So in this case, right, we had a team, right. Who, you know, who had the ability to, to, to deploy its changes going through change control and all of that stuff and caused an error, right. The, the organization's natural tendency was, all right, let's lock it down even further. But we found a, using the right technology, right? A way to actually give that team more control to do more deploys, to be able to break more things, but to have recovery to be so simple, that that was okay, right? So it's great because the team actually got stronger. They had more autonomy and were able to, you know, at least had the ability to break more things if they wanted to.
1: The, the, thing, that, the thing that worries me about that a little bit is um, greater autonomy, greater ability to break things uh, I can see two kind of problems related to that. One is there's a danger of inefficiency there, right? That the, the more and more things you can be changing instead of focusing on the, the one problem, you could be, you could be kind of scattershot in a bunch of, in a bunch of different areas. Um, and then the, the other thing is, um ah, I lost it. Well, danger but of, interestingly, right.
0: Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's like Swiss cheese, right? The, the, Control model for this type of thing, just like with um, uh, in aviation, right? You have one layer of the system with with certain gaps, and and then you have another layer of system that covers for those sorts of gaps, right? So we have our agile process and and other things which have different gaps, and those things don't line up. And when you see major issues happen, it's it tends to be systematic, where a whole lot of different cast different failures cascaded together to cause a, a bigger you know bigger production problem usually other than yep. like a drive or something else running out of space.
1: The thing the thing I worry about is that you, you end up with a with a team that, that has capabilities in a bunch of different areas and that and therefore mm. are are sort of unfocused about what they're what they're working on because they you know they've managed to expand their purview to such an extent that they they're like, well we you know we have the ability to break all sorts of systems yeah. at this point. We've well, actually, so
0: you're bringing up a couple of other points that, that are important as we talk about the fragility of teams. One, it's, are there enough people to actually do all of the work, right? Is there some amount of cross training? Do you have like major key man risk? But after that, it's, does this team have shared goals? Do they trust each other? And do they understand that as a team, we're supposed to accomplish certain things? Right. Yeah,
1: uh, you're you're right about that. I mean, theoretically, good goals, a good a, a good sense of purpose in terms of uh, what the team is supposed to be doing, um, should help an autonomous, self-driven group of people identify and filter what they're supposed to be working on down to something that's going to be the next significant business advantage or whatever that yeah. is. So you're right about that, and th- and that it definitely also goes to the manpower thing, where you could imagine a software system as both the hardware turning running on the software that's running on the hardware and the people that are involved with the whole system in order to sort of maintain it and uh, bring new, bring new features yeah. to light. Right. So that whole system, uh, a, a point of fragility in the system is if you uh, stress out the manpower too much that they, they fall back from being, um, an anti-fragile team who's sort of thinking about this as an experiment that is continuing ongoing to something that's uh, maybe just resilient or robust, like just, putting the fires out and not actually trying to sort of take push the push the problem forward
0: you know I've uh, the last couple of years in like organizational management what everybody's going around teaching is called like growth mindset you probably mm-hmm. heard that term yeah and and part of that training that we had to go through was the difference between the, the different types of stresses you stress which is you know encourages people to like think creatively and to solve a problem. And then there's distress, which just freaks people out, leads to panic, and hatchet jobs on solutions.
1: Yeah, and so you want it as much as possible to be in a use stress kind of situation where people are like, "Hey, this is cool. This this gives me an idea, a uh, a chance to work on this particular problem in a way I've never gotten a chance yeah. to work on it before."
0: But but th- so like thinking about a team right, struggling and, and dealing with some problem, are they mm-hmm. really working together here, or is it? Oh, this person's this person's problem. If they if they were better, that wouldn't have happened, right? Yeah, so look, yep. you have to, really important to look at the intra team dynamics like that and say, are these people willing to always help and do whatever they can, even if it's getting the person who's working on it coffee, or are they saying, oh, that's not my job?
1: It's extremely difficult for uh, the expert on a particular team in a particular area yeah. to uh, sort of give up that that seat of expertise in order to allow someone else on the team to move forward in that direction. Cause often it's a sense of pride and it's a sense of, Hey, you know what? This is yeah. kind of, kind of the reason people are paying me is to do this, <laughs> to do this thing. But you're right in a, in a in an attempt to build sort of a more uh, flexible team, a more resilient uh, team, you're going to want to be able to to let people work on these things, even if it's not exactly okay. Uh, their main target.
0: Well, one of the books that came up in our discussion last week was Mythical Man Month. And another thing from that was the concept of a surgical team, right? So you may have one subject expert, right? That's the, that's the surgeon. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to be the best anesthetician or you know the best person at doing other procedures there. So he has to know when to step back and let somebody else who has who has some expertise, you know, manage the yep. patient for some period of time. And well, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I guess I'm saying like, you know, again, like looking at the, the team as, as a anti-fragile group, you're not going to want to be in a, in a situation where you're only, you only have one surgeon, you only have one of yeah. if at all possible. Right. I mean, yeah, that's, um, that's
0: interesting. Right. Cause some of that is, it's so dependent on how big the team is. Right. I've had, I've had some small teams where you couldn't possibly have everybody on the team cross train because they, you know, just don't have the time to focus on that.
1: But, you Part know, there, is, there's an answer for the small teams, which is, of course, it, it's it's thinking outside the team, right? Like, like yeah. so instead of having the small team build everything, you yeah. as much as possible buy all of the various components that you can yeah. instead of building
0: it. And then, yeah, that's, that's definitely a component of it. One, I'd always... Um, I'd always look at it and say, all right, even if somebody else doesn't know exactly how to do that, do we have somebody who could learn and who would be able to pick that up in a short period of time?
1: I mean, that's obviously like another interview question, right? Is how are the you and this other dude, like we have a decision between you and someone exactly like you in, in all your skill levels. How, how are you advancing forward in a way that no one else is that would yeah. make you a significant contra- contributor to this team a year from now or two years from now? as opposed to the, the average Joe on the street who has the same level of skills. Okay. But, yeah.
0: Part of the whole cross-training thing that that really like has worried me for a long time is it gets to the fungibility of resources. So starting to think that uh, people are interchangeable and anybody who's done those things are gone and read through these training documents can do this job. In a, in a really high-performing team, everybody's going to be better at certain things and, and some things, right? Mm-hmm nobody else will be able to do at that level. But that doesn't mean you wouldn't be able to figure it out in some satisfactory way to be able to fill in that gap and, and, you know, learn through that experience.
1: I mean, there is that problem, right? So you get these, these high performing people, I, I don't know if you've had this, but you get these high performing people on the team, right? And they're able to build a system that is beyond their capability of understanding themselves, right? And, and and the way you do that is you build the coolest, most complicated system you've ever ever built in your life, and then you add one more feature to it. Right. Okay. And then all of a sudden you've 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 kind of fallen off the edge. And you're like, oh now I have no idea how this whole thing is actually all working together. So Obviously, you want to take advantage of people who are who are capable of these uh, particular kinds of things, and, and and use their use their skills and their abilities to yeah. to really crush it on a particular project. But you 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 got to be careful to you don't want to go too far on that, and have these guys be like, man, a I'm terrified of this thing, and b if I walk away from it, it's all gonna fall over because I'm the only person in the room who has any idea how it works.
0: So like, what, what that gets to, right, is, is not just people understanding the, the code itself, but understanding the design, right? So having another good engineer or, or another good developer there and to be able to explain why you built something the way you did and somebody who can question that and, and really start to understand your rationale for, for architecting yeah. it a certain way really really gets to that right because if you can defend that to somebody and they can understand it going through that process they're going to be able to also help understand the, the failure modes and to be able to to solve problems that may come up with that system
1: okay i mean that's great uh, and and, Architect- and you're absolutely right like, like architecture was, thunderdome i would i would love to be on a team where that was the standard right but but you know that that is not the standard on most development teams, right? And I think this this goes back to the fact that this is a yeah. this is an expensive idea. It, it is to to be able to have the time and the space to have the team be like, hey, let's let's make sure that for every single cool idea that's happening, you know, for all the cool ideas that are happening in the system, that we we are able to describe them to other people in the team so that there's a certain amount of cross understanding of what's happening. It takes time. It takes space uh, away from uh, fires and things like that that are happening. It's that sort of, I can't remember the quadrant, but it's like the long-term strategic thinking uh, quadrant of the uh, seven habits of uh, highly effective people. It it takes that kind of stuff. and, And what that means is you're not pushing out features during that time. So it is. It is an expensive thing to give your teams this kind of space in order to do it. Now the trade-offs are you have better products, probably the, and probably over time you have more and better features. Maybe initially you have less features. I don't know.
0: So people going coming into this, right? Sometimes they they get to build a team from scratch, right? Which is a great opportunity, um, and challenging in its own right, mm-hmm. because usually when you have the opportunity like that you have certain deadlines and and you're under pressure to fill fill seats at some point
1: no one's just like writing you a check and being like hey man build the best engineering team you can good
0: luck yeah but if you're inheriting right there's always some amount of team culture there usually that mm-hmm. either comes from the organization or from part of a team you're inheriting and you know that doesn't always engender the kind of trust uh, between people on the team as well as practices, right? That are really going to lead them to be anti-fragile.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the, the people on the team have, they have a history of whatever has been happening before you showed up, yeah. right? Which is a series of scars and stuff yeah. <laughs> that, exactly. that they'll be happy to talk to you about.
0: It's important so. to re-baseline that and say, here are the goals that this team has, right? And and some of the practices that we're going to follow. Mm-hmm. And yep. you know, you may find that some people really can't get on board with that. That are in the team, yep. Well, and then depending on the organization, you know, what you do about that, you know, changes. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, you you absolutely could be in an organization that's like, no, this is this is what we want. This is what we are hoping to get. Um, there there are long term strategic benefits to having teams like this. Or you could be in an org
0: that's like, yeah, uh, why are you not pushing features out as fast as possible? That's right. what we're. I, I do fundamentally believe that. You know, most people that are in these organizations on these teams, they want to do good work. They want to do meaningful work and they have the best intentions, even if it's coming from a, you know, a, a narrower perspective, right? So it's really important for real leadership, right? To to lead, not just manage, right? To to help everybody understand what are the real goals here and then the constraints that we have as a team.
1: Well, yeah, so so yeah, So people have the best intentions, right? Like nobody, you know, we're not talking about the 3% or 5% of people who you, who might be just like, you know, trying to get back, right? We're talking about your, your average person who sort, sort of somewhat disagrees with the strategic direction uh, for, for good reason, right? People are, people are, want to do a good job. They want their company to do a good job. They want their team to do a good job, be profitable. Uh, people are pretty well aware of how capitalism works. So they will, they're like, dude, if we do something that is worth money, we will in turn, be in a happy state ourselves. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, the disagreements that they're going to have with you on this aren't so much, I don't want to do something that's cool. It's probably more along the lines of there is a certain amount of uh, pressure and stress we are under to deliver a product in in these timeframes with with these particular expected parameters. Huh? And you are pushing us away from being able to accomplish that. And yeah. it, so, so it's not everyone's agreed on the the high level goal they're sort of disagreeing on the tactical approach of like,
0: it was commonly used to be called like, you know, the, the team's, um, storming phase, but what's popular these days, right. Is calling it disagree and commit, which is something that Amazon has made very popular Sure. Yeah. yeah. That, that, you know, you have to be heard. And when you disagree with something, or you have a different perspective, you know, people have on the team, right. First have to trust each other enough to be able to, to lay out and disagree. I'd say if on a team, people aren't allowed dissenting opinions or aren't allowed to work through even technical issues, there's not enough trust to really, to ever make it to an anti-fragile team. You have to get through that to even get to like a resilient or even remotely high-performing team.
1: You certainly, you absolutely need trust in order to You make have to work. be able yeah.
0: to, to disagree, to be able to question somebody's argument without necessarily attacking the person interpersonally, you know, like, like mm-hmm. making it feel like an interpersonal affront. And I've definitely gone into organizations where people confuse those two, where anytime you argued with one of their ideas, they thought it was a personal attack. Personal attack, yeah. I always, that's a, that's a horrible environment because it means people can't really disagree and they just commit paper on paper or publicly and then do subtle things to undermine it or, or not, Work to really the same objective,
1: and that—that that I think is a subject for a whole different, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, a whole other conversation. Is how, how are you going to build trust in a in an environment where uh, you, you come in and it's kind of a distrustful, uh, blaming yeah. kind of uh, situation? And honestly, but
0: it is a good question. Like, if you're if you're in a, a team, right, and you go through this this production outage, you should do forensics on this not just from a technical standpoint, but say, from a team standpoint, did people disagree with that design in the first place? Or are they just finger pointing now? Right. Those are, those are important things to understand, right? If, if people had concerns like, like the space shuttle Challenger, right? People had concerns and they raised those concerns. They were still shot down, mm-hmm. but they raised them.
1: Definitely. I mean, how, how you're going to react to these types of situations is uh, significant factor in sort of how your how your team or your group or, heck, your company is going to be moving forward yeah. uh, after after an event like this. Yeah. And it can change over time, right? I mean, like, uh, there's obviously cultural norms that are changing over the last uh, 20, 30 years of sort yeah. of how you're, how you're expected to, to deal with this. I mean, one of the things that, you know, I'm always amazed at is that we just sort of took, you know, website and network outages uh, just for granted. Uh, for the longest time, well, this is just the way the world works. It's kind of crappy, right? Yeah. And then, like, eventually, some people are like, "Wait, what if we called that a bug, and build a system that was designed to fix, to yeah. to not have that bug?" And that like, that was Kubernetes. And like, it's like, hey, you don't actually, you don't have to live like this. <laughs> as much as possible, if you can identify these things that are causing breaks in your system, and then, as you say, sort of do some deep analysis on it and try to figure out how to how to not have that break in the future then generally your system's yeah. going to be better going forward.
0: So. Yeah, and, you know, I'd say also as as your your system gets more resilient, right? Where, you know, one pod may die and and you know, the system will spin up another pod. It lowers the the priority on fixing that, right? Because you have these new feature requests and other stuff coming in. If the mm-hmm. system didn't do that, well, that'd be priority 1 and everything else would get shelved. Absolutely. That does help you think yeah. about at least the work to be done across that broader spectrum
1: that's kind of funny also because you know now like um hacking into systems is becoming a less damaging problem because oh that that particular endpoint got hacked let's just trash it and stand up another one do you want to do forensics on it do you want to find out what's going on no we absolutely have to keep production going i don't care why they got into that thing obviously i do care but i mean i you know like of the problems we have getting the system back up and running is the first one so they, there's actually some problems with you know log shipping and and trying to figure out what's going on with the container that got, that got uh, yeah. hacked because people are so quick to trash them and then your forensics are gone at the same time.
0: And the way I'd apply that to, to the teaming concept, right, is, all right, if you've got a team who's, who's able to, to work through issues and correct them pretty rapidly and you know has been consistent at that over time, okay, well, you know the, the pressure to, to move them from a resilient team to an anti-fragile team maybe isn't quite as great it's up then to management, right? To look at them and say, all right, well, this seems like it's been leveled. You know, they're they're good at correcting these issues, but what do we need to do to that, to the team, right? In terms of our practices or anything else to get them to even be more creative or to to be better for having gone through each issue.
1: Uh, You you actually bring up another good point there, which I don't think we're going to have time to deal with is like if you get to a resilient level of behavior, what is the advantage to, to management to get to an anti-fragile <laughs> you know, if, if things are already pretty good? But you you would imagine that, I guess I'll answer my own question there. You would imagine that obviously an uh, anti-fragile team would come up with newer and more creative ways to solve problems rather than, hey, let, let's take the existing thing and try to build it sort of a little bit stronger, a little bit more uh, robustly and things like
0: that. Yes, yeah. And, you know, another way to look at it, right, is is at the larger system level. All right, so if you're, you know, uh, a manager in an organization and you've built a pretty well resilient team and you've got good people on that team who all have kind of shared vision and goals and practices, well, maybe the best thing you can do for the organization is find a way to move yourself to a team that doesn't get that, promote somebody within the team that's there, right, and then start to fix the next the next domino.
1: That's some, that's some next level stuff right there, Vince. (laughs) Or, 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 or get your, get your guys promoted out to, uh, you know, your, your leaders on your teams to get promoted out into other teams to kind of spread the business. That's
0: right. And you know, you, you've just then, right. Culturally began improving the organization at a, at a bigger level. Yeah. And those things are important, right? Like in any, any organization, you're going to have great performing teams and then you're going to have teams that are relatively poor performing. And there's some interaction between those usually. And the the people on the poor performing teams don't want to be on the poor performing teams. They want to be on a great team. They want to. just need a a manager who knows how to, to make them more resilient or (laughs) even anti-fragile.
1: All right, cool. Well, I think that's good for the day. How do you, you, what do you think? That was fun. All right, let's call it. Vince, it was a good time talking to you. And we'll, uh, we'll chat uh, next week.